0: Is face-to-face well, welcome to another edition of face-to-face on this uh well you guys as listeners won't see it but it's a beautiful sunny day here in toronto um so it's It's
1: always sunny in Southern Togo.
0: Well, that's a pretty positive uh, spin. <laughs> uh, I'd like to welcome Russ Ford uh, as our guest this week. Uh, he's the executive director, and maybe even in some circles the CEO of Lamp Community Health Center. So he's going to tell us a little bit about that, maybe, and about who he is and why he does what he does. And, and uh, thanks for. Thanks oh, for joining us, My
1: pleasure, David. Yes, the CEO. Yeah. Um, tell me a bit more. So
0: you've been Executive Director of LAMP. LAMP is... What that, does LAMP stand for? What's uh, the acronym? Lakeshore
1: Area Multi-Service Project. It says the P is for project because 37 years ago, it was a pilot-funded one-year project. And you're still in the pilot
0: phase, I understand.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell the stuff. That's right. <laughs> um, and and, the idea, and there were a number of CHCs that were started up around that time and the OMA was quite successful in closing a number of them. Uh, LAMP survived uh, more than one attempt to close us uh, because the, the whole
0: idea, we have our physicians are on salary. and the OMA So you have, so LAMP, community health center, so you're uh, doctors, physicians, physicians uh, nurse um,
1: practitioners. We have yeah. clinical services, speech and language services, that kind of thing. But we also take the broader definition of health, which includes, you know, programs like uh, basketball programs for youth, uh, parenting programs, those kinds of things. But it also, you know, the third component is what I consider public policy, advocacy, those kinds of things. So I, I see it as three areas. There's clinical services, there's programs, and then there's the whole policy advocacy issue. Because fundamentally, I see Lamp as an organization devoted
0: to social justice. Excellent. You know what? I want to get back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the whole definition of social justice and 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 being at risk and vulnerability and those kinds right. of things. I want to get back to that in a second. So, so, so your community center about is it a budget about seventeen million dollars? No, guess?
1: not quite that high. We're. Close to thirteen, I
0: would so say. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty significant agency. I mean, you've yeah, been-
1: it, it definitely is the largest in, in this part of the world, in in, in Etobicoke. Um, You know, when I came, we had a budget of two million. So we've, even despite tough times, we've uh, we've increased our budget considerably. Um, the problem with funding today is it's all project funding. Uh, You know, they'll put out a proposal, you know, you want to do something about X, diabetes or whatever, right? And of course, you know, that doesn't do anything for salaries, that doesn't do anything to pay the rent, that doesn't keep the lights on. But that's where funding is at today. So there's no, you know, and health promotion, as we define health promotion, which includes things like tenant organizing and that kind of thing, is never going to be funded again. So there's definitely been a shift in funding. I don't know if you harken back to the uh, ethos of the 60s, but it was a... A much different uh,
0: time frame than, than can, that. can we follow that line of sure. thinking for a second and come back to the ED uh, CEO thing? Because <laughs> sure. I do want to pick up on that. So shift in funding, I mean, this is something that I think anyone running a nonprofit is interested in. Anybody who, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many, I think there's a lot of goodwill. Mm-hmm. In, 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 globally, I think yes. there's a lot of goodwill. The, the problem is how do you actually build the capacity? It's like trying to get credit. Yes. How do you get credit without having credit? Well, a bank's not going to give it to you. So, how do you actually do good yes. uh, without any kind of capacity slash funding or or, or or capital, uh, capital basically? Yes. Yeah. And, and so, how do you get? So, if it's you know project funding, mm-hmm. and and you're going to fund something about HIV/AIDS or something about dentistry or mm-hmm. whatever the case might be, but you actually need to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you do that today?
1: Well, you know, you, you chart, you, you fundraise, you do things like that. You, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. because, and, and it's not just project funding. It's also what I would call community funding. In the old days, uh, I could make a pitch to the ministry and say, well, this is a unique problem in our community. And, you know, if I had data to support that information, that kind of thing, they might fund that. Uh, Today it's about a province-wide initiative to do, as your example, HIV, right? So that, you know, if we have HIV issues in our community, we can certainly apply for that, but tailoring funding to meet community needs has changed dramatically, and in my view, for the worst. Hmm. So, you know, you can get some admin funding out of of these projects. You can take a certain percentage. Yeah, sure, 10, 15%, something like that. So, you know, you can do that kind of thing, but you know
0: it's and has it do you think it's weakened the actual services that that an organization like lamp can provide because you know uh, we we uh, you know i work in the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. as well and i think sometimes we end up chasing the money yes you know instead of the actual mission or the mandate or the oh or the,
1: absolutely yeah. and, and i've done that yeah. um, you know particularly during the mike Harris era right when there were very little funding out there. but whatever, Like Harris? I don't remember him. Yeah, I try not to.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and But if they did, they did have the odd thing that would come yeah. out and I, I certainly chased it uh, because A, I thought, hey, I can do something that they think is useful but B, I can get some money to keep this place going. I yeah. mean, when yeah. Harris got elected, I said to the staff, well, our goal is to be standing before, you know, when his government goes down. Right. And obviously we did that and we actually even expanded under that strategy of know going after whatever funding was there we didn't get funding that was you know contrary to our mission and values but I think we got funding that was neutral to it maybe or something we wouldn't have gone after had the funding philosophy at the time been different. But you know, you have to do what you have to do to keep the
0: doors open. So right? are you are you a bit of a utilitarian when it comes to, you know, ethics, the greatest amount of good for <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to ethics? Yeah. <laughs> or politics perhaps.
1: Yeah, absolutely you you have
0: to be. You have to, to be, be. You know, have, to yeah. be. You, yeah. have to, you you yeah. know you have to keep, I think so too.
1: You have to keep the building open. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And because you do so much good elsewhere, you have to find ways to keep that part yeah. going. And yeah. sometimes, you know, We don't sell cigarettes in the lobby or anything like that. But, you know,
0: they're... they're, there. let the the government do that.
1: That's right. There are (laughs) are trade-offs sometimes, and we try to minimize those trade-offs. But, you know, the moral imperative is to keep the services going for the people that need it the most.
0: Does it concern you that, like, you know, you look at some of the agencies, and I'm I'm thinking more internationally, that they've become these structures, these edifices? edifices, mm-hmm. edify, well, edify, you know, they become these monuments yes. and they've lost sense of their mission. And so it's all about keeping the lights on and it's not about actually doing what they were, yes. you know, that the 37-year pilot project that you started, you yes. know, years ago. You, and I'm not suggesting you guys have lost your vision, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes that Absolutely.
1: happens. It, it, it has become, as I said, increasingly funder-driven. So if the funder wants, you know, the, whatever the direction of the funder go, I've seen organizations twist themselves inside and out to meet the needs of the funder. Uh, My attitude is that, you know, we do what we have to do so we can do what we need to do. Mm. So if the funder makes demands, well, you know, we'll do them because we have to, but it may be different from what we see as what we really need to do. And, uh, you know, sometimes, I'm not saying that there aren't compatibilities. sometimes. Sometimes what the funder wants you to do is very much compatible with what you need to do, but not always the case. I I think the, you know, there's been an increasing uh, amount of import, what I call the importation of bureaucracy, Mm. that government now has rules and regulations um, that they import to us. Uh, Government increasingly has, is now about overseeing what others do rather than doing it directly themselves. So, you know, the idea of, you know, when I'm dating myself here, but the idea of things like the company of young Canadians and those kinds of, they'd never happen today. In fact, When Winterio came out, I was a high school student, and we had this local hockey team. We didn't have a manager. We didn't have a coach, just a bunch of guys. I wrote a letter, I think it was to Robert Welch, the minister, saying, I'd like some money from Winterio for my hockey team. I got a check. Wow. I was a high school student. They sent me a check to Russ Ford.
0: Right. I sent them
1: the bills when I bought the equipment, and that was it. Wow. That would never happen
0: today. That would never happen today. You'd have <laughs> to create like a log frame. Oh, you, you, You'd you have outcomes and indicators. That's you'd right. You'd have to do a needs assessment <laughs> in the community. Well,
1: exactly. I'd have <laughs> to, just like, to get some sweaters. I'd have to be a corporation too, yeah. right? I couldn't yeah. be just a guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, we have, we. Are, I mean, our statistical reporting mechanisms now are incredible.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: we, are this small organization that, you know, it's, it's big by community standards, but compared to hockey, ho, hospital standards, we're probably the size of a department.
0: Right, right, right. And yet
1: we have to report as if we were a hospital. We use the same reporting software that they do.
0: Isn't it ironic that part of, so you get to spend 10% on administration, right? And if our admin goes up, we hear about it. Right. And yet the ones who seem to be creating more of the administration are the donors themselves. I've always yes. often said that, yes. you know, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yes. I mean, lots of people have said that. What am I saying? I think Mark yes. Twain said it or, something, or Plato. I don't know who it was. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I've said it, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. you can quote me on that, Ross. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's just, it's. I find sometimes in the donor community, it's now all about impact, all about results and so on. But what does that actually mean? Yes. What, it's really, to me, it's about efficacy. It's about what's the long term? You, you really want to talk about development and change and s- social justice? Mm-hmm. Well, come back in 10 or 15 or 20 well, years. exactly. Right? Not, not in 12 months.
1: Exactly. How can, you, how can you... You can't measure everything when you're talking about human beings. And... The way it's going, if you can't measure it, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. You know, I I was talking to somebody who was big into data and they were, I was talking about programs and, and they say, well, if you don't, you know, you don't rely on the data, how do you know if something's working? And I said, well, I get up out of my chair and I walk over and I observe, which is what I did before any data existed. It is about, you know, it's about management. You know, we're de-skilling the profession or whatever you want to call it, the work. You know, yeah. it, it,
0: Did you just invent a word, actually? What's yes. that? De-skilling? Uh, I think I've heard it before. Yeah, no, it's good. I like okay. it. Okay. I, I well, you can it. have it. I had a pro- <laughs> I, I've, I've got your quote. I so. had a professor that, that... That's right, you've got my quote. <laughs> that's right. Um, I had a professor who said you got to invent a new word at least once a month. Okay. Um, <laughs> sounds like it's connected to ice fishing, though, de-skilling. Yes. Yes, right? true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. No. no, I well, like it, though. It's,
1: everything is about numbers. Everything's about how, numbers. How do you, it's infuriating. How do you measure community development in numbers? You know, and as you said, the outcome is down the road sometimes, and the outcome cannot be necessarily attributed to what you did. You can think it did, but you just you can't can. say yeah. well that's a totally independent variable that had I not done this, this wouldn't have happened.
0: Right. Yeah, you life know? is a little more complicated than
1: exactly. that. Exactly. Like, like in Mimico, we were organizing tenants and you know the tenants that they were fearing eviction because of the condominiums, and of course, under the city bylaw. Uh, they would have to replace the affordable housing, but you don't have to replace it on site. You could send it to Rexdale and still okay. meet.
0: I grew up in Rexdale. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, that's another discussion. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so, you know, so there are people there who had living in there for 30 years. You know, their kids go to school, local schools, all that. They were going to be dispossessed, kind of like the Acadians way mm-hmm. back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Going to Rexdale. <laughs> and, And we organized the Tenants Association. I think we got about 450 members. And at the end of the day, the city uh, report, the secondary plan said, no, the tenants have to, the affordable housing has to stay and it has to stay on site. So there's no movement to Rexdale or wherever, right? Now, can I say because we organized the 450-member Tenants Association that that wouldn't have happened? I think it wouldn't have happened, but can I actually say that? No. I can't say that that's the reason why city staff put that in. I think we met with them many times and made the case and they did put it in. I don't think it would have been put in, but can I measure that? No, of course I can't. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was reading about right to work legislation, you know, the anti-union stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's all over the map. I mean, some people will say, well, it, it promotes a job, some people say it doesn't. And you know, there's no one factor that affects the economics. Right. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a multiplier sure, of factors. Sure, right. Sure, so, sure. but you know, in my opinion, absolutely right to work damages workers and doesn't create any new jobs. But the CD Howe Institute, they have their own data to sure. say the other yeah. thing, right? Yeah. So, you know, we act towards data like the people in the Middle Ages acted towards religion.
0: I was just going to say, isn't that interesting that you? T- I was going to say idolatry. Yes, it's like an idol to us. Yes,
1: we we can't challenge it. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, yeah. if you don't have the well, data, it it's does. in the
0: numbers, Russ. That's right, right? That's right. And you got you're at your board meeting or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and you got your PowerPoint up, and you've yep. got your pie charts and a few. Cra- Isn't it wild the mm-hmm. ideological edge yes. to a pie graph?
1: Well, it's interesting, and you
0: could do it in crayon.
1: Yes, I you know, know. I know. It's, it's it's interesting. It, Years ago, when I was working at another place, I got our statistics, and it said that we had a tremendous number of people over the age of ninety in our practice and i looked around i didn't see it okay i went to all the doctors and nurses i and said what do you think and they all said we don't see it but how can the data be wrong <laughs> right and i said right. yeah you're right how could it be wrong it must be right so i got funding from the federal government to do work with these incredibly old people
0: <laughs> Hold on. i think i see where this might be going after
1: it's- after i got the funding i found out that if you didn't put the year of birth in the computer, it defaulted to zero, zero, right? So this was 1992. So everybody who didn't have a year of birth came in the statistics as being 92 years old.
0: Oh, that's hilarious! Right? That's awesome. <laughs> Talk about utilitarian. Eh? Exactly right. <laughs> so now I
1: got this money, and I don't have any people.
0: <laughs> oh, right? that's funny. I don't know for some reason. Well, I won't my, say what I spend on. My, my my mind went to Y two K. Oh, yeah, yes. It's yeah. just, there's some sort of connection there. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Some sort of software problem. I think. Yes. We've got well, it was the,
1: you know if they didn't if you didn't enter the date of birth it just the thing just defaulted.
0: Wow. So that's,
1: but uh, uh, we but he, well, so we knew intuitively it wasn't true right but we went with the data which numbers can
0: never really talk to right numbers can't talk about emotion they can't talk about emotional intelligence and t- intuition and so on and yet we want to Myers-Briggs everything to death yes right yes, yes. because it's it's yeah I I isn't I mean would you say that most quantifiable data is really actually qualified
2: so oh, in other absolutely. words, your perspective, your
0: oh, yes. your worldview, your yes. religion, your politics—all these yes. things play into data of yes. most of the time. One it's of easy. the
1: best courses I took in grad school was this course on stats, and basically all we did was we got reports, and our job was to um, chew it up oh, okay. and say, this, yeah. "This is the data." Doing a little okay. bit of philosophy, but. Did they take this into account? They take that, you know, how did this data come to be? And you you find out a lot of it is highly subjective. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. How to lie with statistics. Exactly. Yeah. And the other side will have their statistics too. Of course. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much damage, you know, and I'm sure there's writing on this, uh, nothing's coming to mind right now, but how much damage has been done in the name of quantification, in the name of data? You know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's quantify yeah. that. right? I think, I think
1: yeah. let's do a survey on <laughs> That's that. Right. I think a lot in, in the social services health sector. Absolutely. Huh. Because, you know, our sector is about dealing with people, right? Right. And, and, and you know, when and even, even silly things like, you know, when the city of Toronto says, well, let's go out and count the homeless. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. And, and what do you yeah. got at the end of that? Yeah. Let, let's yeah. just accept the fact there are homeless in Toronto. And let's just accept the fact there's a lot of them. How many? Who knows? Who cares? There's a lot of them. Let's deal with it. Yeah, you know? let's
0: accept the fact that it's kind yeah. of unacceptable.
1: We don't need a number of homeless to yeah. address the issue of homeless, but yeah. somehow we feel we do need a number. Yeah, yeah. So then yeah. we can say, okay, between this year and this year, it grew or yeah. whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. But what yeah. does that tell us? Yeah. It t- yeah. still, even if it went down, there's still a number of people in our society who need, you know, government yeah. intervention.
0: Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, so it, it it is part of the dehumanizing so does, of social science. I was just going to
0: say, does the dehumanizing great word? So does it does it make you? You don't strike me as a cynical guy, and yet I know I think I know you well enough to know that you've got a real harsh realism about you as well. But you usually will make those comments or observations with a smile. So clearly, you're doing this after so many years. You've seen change. You've seen systemic change. You've mm-hmm. you've probably run up against a lot of brick walls. Um, and a guy by the name of Mike Harris, you know? I mean, so, and you survived, right? I survived. And yet, y- you strike me as a pretty hopeful guy. I mean, how, how do you do that if, as someone who's concerned about social justice in, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in a time when it seems like uh, a government d- doesn't care right mm-hmm. now in Canada? Or at least, I mean, maybe that's a bit harsh. but, but, yeah. but
1: uh, Well, government, I won't say just this government, but governments have lost it. In, mm. in my in, in my opinion, it, it's um, it's not uh, it's not valued partly because it's not quanti- I guess it's not quantifiable. But uh, I think we've lost. I think I, I just think we've lost lo- our humanity. I think if you ask people that, they would say no. But there's no real process or mechanism to actually fund things that need need that kind of thing, right? So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I it is going in the wrong direction. Uh, my job has certainly changed a lot in terms of issues like accountability and stuff like mm-hmm. that. that mm-hmm. You know, but again, you get through that stuff. Um, but I think you know you, you you can't not do what you know needs to be done. You can't wake up in the morning nice. and say, "Well, I'm uh, you know what the hell? I'm just going to count numbers today." You can't retire at the end of your career and say, "Well, I could have done more for someone," but you know. I realized it was a hopeless cause. I, you got to do, you know, it reminds me years ago when I was uh, protesting a, a war in Indochina and I came home and my mother said to me, well, what good did that do? Hmm. And I said, well, it probably didn't do much or anything maybe, but it's the only thing I can do. Mm-hmm. I can't go to Indochina and say to those people, put down your arms, and if I did, I'd probably get shot. So the only thing I can do stand outside university avenue and with thousands of others around the world maybe this thing will stop so you do what you can do and then you know your guilt can't factor in and hopefully you do make an impact i mean i think there are times it's usually subtle but sometimes you do make an impact you know yeah, like um you know, we had. In, I'll just give you an example. We had a very tangible example. The, the city of Toronto brought in this below-market rent policy, which means that organizations had to pay their costs of their, their building. In our case, that meant a 120 percent increase, which mm. of course we can't afford. The uh, Boys and Girls Club in Scarborough pays a dollar a year to the city, and their operating cost is four hundred thousand. So their budget was going to go from one dollar to four hundred thousand. Wow! It was totally unacceptable, and we got Stonewalled. So we organized. You know, we organized all the tenants and city buildings and we created a fuss. And hmm. now they're changing it. We're not, wow. not sure what they're changing it to. Right. So, you know, and, and same when when uh, the mayor wanted to pose uh, garbage fees on, on nonprofits and churches. So we're going to have to cut services in order to pay for garbage. Right. Well, that's that, fought, that fight is still coming up, but we got at least deferred for another year. Right. So these are little victories, yeah. but yeah. I'm now able to provide a service because I don't have to pay for garbage. Right. You know, and that's really what it comes down to. So somebody, and I don't know what service would be, but we'd have to make a decision as to what to cut in order to pay for our garbage fee. I guess unless we let garbage go all over the place. But, so I don't know who got helped by that. You know, in my job as executive director or CEO, as some people like to call it, um, it is sometimes very remote from the actual person receiving service. So I have to have some faith that by stopping the garbage fee that somebody
0: else here is getting counseling services. So if you can't not do what you know needs to be done, why does it seem, and here I'll go cynical on you, why does it seem that a lot of people don't do what needs to be done?
1: Well, it's easy. It's definitely easy. Um, I think that one of the things with community health centers is for so long, we were on the fringes of the healthcare system. Mm. And for years, it was always, are we gonna survive? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, now we're not. we're in the mainstream. You know the government has brought us into the mainstream. they're lining us up with hospitals. they have these whole, you know these plans and things like that. And a lot of people really like the idea of being in the mainstream of the healthcare system, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but you do give up things, and the right to criticize has clearly been something that has been given up hmm. and uh, so you know, it's 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 more comfortable. So if you
0: want, so if you want to criticize, you need to be active in your mind. Well absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You want to write an article? You want to write a letter, op-ed, yep. or whatever? Even yep. if it's a small letter to your MP. Yep. Um, you need to be doing something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you need some credibility too, right?
0: Do you think? Do you think donors? Do you think folks are um getting um? I'll get that. Are getting more um more involved? Or less involved are they? So, from a community perspective, do you see uh, do you see local folk engaging more or disengaging, oh, and I, saying, "You know what? Up to the government, I pay my taxes. Uh, churches are supposed to take care of that. Rotary Club takes. They, you know, eradicated yeah. polio, so we'll let them we'll let them deal with other things too." What's yeah, your
1: sense? I, I think so. I'll, you know, in fairness, I think the United Way has increased its donations over the year. And in fact, uh, I remember reading something when government cuts back, people tend to give more. Um, but I, I definitely think uh, that, you know, governments are def- definitely giving less, um, and, and you know, I mean, yeah, there there's less support from government for sure, which I think is a manifestation of the political climate, which sure. relates back to people, right? Um, you know, the Harris government was particularly difficult, right? The first thing they did was they cut welfare by 22%, right? And they got reelected elected as a, as a majority government. So... You know, you got to attach the personal to the political sometimes. Right. you right, got to say, okay, right. you know, this person is now suffering because of that decision. You know, governments talk a lot about accountability, but it's it should be a two-way street. And, you know, if you ever try to find out who makes the decision in government, like who made the decision to change our rent to blow market rent, so-called, you can never find that out. <laughs> right. You can right. never find out right. who the individual uh, was. Yeah. And usually it it wasn't, it was some group that came together. Well, isn't
0: that where George Orwell was bang on with 1984? It's like it's the Ministry of Development that made that decision. It wasn't a human being who made the decision, right? It was this bureaucratic entity. Yes,
1: we we had a recent fight, uh, maybe it's still going on with Toronto Public Health, because they were trying to take over all the speech and language services, including ours, and taking our funding and all this kind of stuff, right? And the line we got, well, it's part of the transformation agenda. As right. if by saying that it was therefore beyond discussion. Right. It's the transformation agenda. Right. And right. I've heard that in other ministers. Oh, it's the transformation agenda. Right. Okay. I guess, okay, I guess yeah. better. Yeah. I guess I better back off here. Yeah, because, that's right. You know, that's right. I want to be part of the transformation. Right. Transform me. Transform yeah. me. Right. Yeah.
0: That's right.
1: So yeah, I mean, and, and once things happen in government, they don't. They just. It's so hard to derail. Yeah. You know, yeah it's yeah. so hard to derail what is this transformation what this transformation agenda really is is greater control by government yeah. and taking it out of the community yeah. and of course we have to treat everybody the same right we have no capacity under these transformation agendas to say, this person has a unique problem, a unique issue. Of course we have to treat this person the same.
0: It's always made me a bit crazy, that whole line, that if we do it for one, we have to do it for everyone. And I just don't buy that. I think the idea of there being unique problems, like you say, and unique issues, is part of being human. Aren't we complex and paradoxical and contradictory and all those things? And
1: when people make these rules, I'm sure they make them in good faith, but they can't necessarily apply to every human situation that they may not have envisioned. So what is the spirit of this rule? Screw people or not? Right, right. right. And, you know, given similar circumstances, maybe we do have to treat everybody that way. You know, I'll give you an example. We had a, a, I won't name the organization, but they were- What does it rhyme with, Russ? (laughs) (laughs) Public Health. Uh, Anyways, a prenatal program where people were to come in to get Low-income people, assistance, learning about what goes on in prenatal stuff, but they also got a food coupon. So they take the store because they're low-income and nutrition's important, right? So we had an individual who attends all the time, and she was having a roach problem, so she had to leave her apartment. She moved a long way away for a period of time while her apartment was being fumigated. She came here for the program. The subway was delayed. She was late. They wouldn't give her the food p- coupon. Wow. So we gave her money. And they said to me, well, if you do that for her, you have to do that for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely. If someone else had a roach problem, had to go on the subway, the subway was delayed and they didn't get here, I would do that again. <laughs> so I would do it for everybody else.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, that's really good. I think, again, to your comment earlier, I think sometimes it's just you create a process because it's easier, right? Sure. You create a bureaucracy because it's easier. We have a, we sure. have a, and we have a two-pager pager on that. Yeah, and you right?
1: also don't want your government to treat everybody differently. Yes. Right? You yeah. don't yeah. you know, yeah. if I'm eligible for welfare yeah. at this amount yeah. and somebody else comes in with the exact same situation, they're eligible for the same amount. Yeah. You don't yeah. want people saying, well, yeah. I'll give you $20 and I'll give you 15. Yeah. You do want some of consistency. Course. Yeah.
0: Um, So why are you more of a CEO today than an executive director? Well,
1: I'm still an executive director. Um, I get uh, letters from my uh, funder uh, that I have to sign and underneath it says Russ Ford, Chief Executive Officer. I cross it out and I write executive director. Um, More of my colleagues are clearly now CEOs. I guess it sounds more part of the corporate culture. It is the corporatization of social services for sure. And I just think executive director is the title that is given to someone who leads a community organization and has been for the last 100 years and will ever be so. And I just think that uh, being a CEO is just another example of how we are becoming businesses more than, I
0: mean, it's
1: a small thing.
0: But I think language is important. I think language is very important. You you know? Know? I mean, I mean, I, uh, I, <coughs> I was at an event recently and somebody was speaking on our uh, CETA, Canadian International Development Agency, mm-hmm. which is no longer and it's now defated, defat, d, right? <laughs> yes. Department of Foreign Affairs, yes. Trade and Development. Well, what I love about it is if you add an l to that, you got deflated. <laughs> if you add an e to it, you got defeated. So that's we're right. perfect. We're, exactly. we're good. Anyway, the comment was is that the uh, the, the current government uh, has is no longer interested in poverty reduction, Russ. They're actually interested in poverty poverty alleviation. Well, that's oh, a okay. huge distinction. When you start to talk about, oh, so we're just going to alleviate it a little bit. Right. We're just going to tweak it. We're going to drop in. We're going to parachute in gonna some food. A, we're going to give
1: you a mango every month.
0: It, exactly. It's relief. It's not development necessarily. We're not now talking about long-term, sustainable, effective change. Yes. I think. And so these little shifts. I mean, they can. Yes, they absolutely. really can make all the difference. It's, and it's uh,
1: not as if the corporate model is something that we should all rush to uh, embrace. Well, I'm, yeah. I yeah. mean, if you look at the so-called scant- certainly
0: not all aspects of it. Absolutely. That's for sure. If yeah.
1: you look at the so-called scandals that have hit the provincial government. E-Health, Pan Am Games. Uh, well, Gas plant's a different story. But those were examples of where the government outsourced to a private sector and therefore lost control. And these organizations, using the largest, what are the normal practices of the private sector, paid big bonuses, which is normal in the private mm-hmm, sector. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So the public is outraged these people are getting these bonuses, but they're getting it. Because the government embraced the private sector model. Right. That would never happen if Pan Am Games and eHealth was devolved to a public sector model. We don't get bonuses. Right. We don't even think about that stuff. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So you change the model and are upset that people are acting that way. Yeah,
0: yeah, You know. yeah. Do you think this notion I've often thought too that, uh, let's see if I can quote somebody else and take it as my own. Okay. Um, uh, just to the line, well, you know, it's business. It's just business. Yes. Right. It's as if business is, again, it's, it's kind of an idolatry in a way, right? Because yes. they do it right. Yes. They make people money. This, you know, this other thing that I've been thinking about quite a bit uh, recently, I read an article in The Globe just a couple of days ago about, um, you know, the whole trickle down theory. It's not, it's not working in Africa. Really, and
1: <laughs> didn't work in Canada, the U.S. either. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and so they're looking at mining corporations and not naming anyone specifically, but but uh, you know Canada, one of the biggest mining c- countries in the world, and deeply uh, in, into Africa, and uh, they were looking, I think, at Zambia in particular, and saying it's making a few people really rich, but it's not getting to the people that are actually doing the mining, which is the paradox of it all. I love mm-hmm. that stuff. In a, in a no. you know, I don't love it, but you know what we I mean. Did, we
1: did the same with the CPR, didn't we? Way back in the day, right? We brought in the Chinese workers and they didn't exactly, in fact, we put most of them in jail because after the railroad was built, uh, we decided to make cocaine illegal. Right. And it had been illegal up to that point and many of the Chinese workers used cocaine, so we had them build the railroad, then we put them in jail.
0: Nice. Yeah. That's, um, we call that a benefit plan. (laughs)
1: That's right. (laughs) We gave them uh, food and shelter. That's Right.
0: (laughs) I've always loved the stat. I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to quote it anyway just because it's fun. Um, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, the U.S. has, uh, f- is it 5% of the world's population but uses like yeah, 60% yeah, of the world's yeah, cocaine yes, or something yes, like that? Yes, or 80%? Yeah. It's insane. Yes. Well, just insane. When you look, when you start to look at some of the differences, you know, and yet, and yet, you know, when you get down to the, the grassroots, we really are just, we're, aren't we all in this together? I mean, in a, in a way, like where, you know, I look, I'm a little more global, you're a little more local, you know, yeah. in our focus. I mean, aren't we all at the end of the day, uh, sorry for that corporate phrase, but aren't we all just trying to make sense of this? You'd think.
1: But I mean, the trickle down economics is even lesser now with the global economy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's what the whole Occupy movement was really about. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. People aren't getting their trickles. Right. You know? Right. And, right. And, and some people are making a lot and a lot of people are making nothing. And, and, and you, know, you see that here with youth and youth unemployment, right? I mean, the unemployment in Ontario right now is 7% for youth, it's 14%, and it's 28% for black youth. Right. Wow. You know? Yeah. So it's not trickling down. And governments increasingly, and maybe it's because they've been defanged by all the free trade. Maybe they can't. Uh, they've lost their levers, their ability to manage the economy to some degree. And so how, how do you create a just society yeah, yeah. Uh, in, a, in a post-global economy? It's increasingly difficult. It and the a, left has never come to grips with that.
0: It is increasingly difficult. How do you, I mean, you know, one of the things I bring up in a lot of my podcasts and a lot of the writing that I've done is this, this desire, you know, and maybe we can blame Plato for this, but this desire to just polarize everything. Either yes. or, us, them, black, white, well, up,
1: US down. U.S. politics is... Classic it's example. It's insane to me. And Obamacare, this, I think,
0: right? You know, my comment about all of us being in this together, why can't, you know, why can't we get, you know, four billion religious people in the world and we can't get on the same page. Instead, we argue about
1: texts well, yeah, and scripture
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. and kill each other and yeah. these kinds of
1: we, things. We separate, right? Yeah. We separate between think of the good my religion, we could do. My religion yeah. your religion. Or my
0: politics, your politics. And my
1: religion, my politics, the right way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It seems to be we always separate ourselves... And say we're different, which is fine, because we do live in a pluralistic society. But we go from saying we're different to we're different and we're better. Right. And once yeah, we say true. we're better, yeah, that's yeah. when everything that's when the danger starts. That's yeah. when the danger goes. There's yeah. nothing wrong with being different. We are different. We're it's a very pluralistic society. But you know, different doesn't mean no one's better than anyone else. Yeah, and we're no, different and therefore we're better. Right. Yeah. And that's why we're not all in it together. We some of us are in it with the others, but as a collective. Or really not in it together. so
0: what so i mean okay so let's go really hopeful really blue sky and out there what's what are the solutions is it just you know kafka said you gotta you gotta uh, take an axe to the frozen sea that's in people's hearts And i've all you know wonderful quote mm-hmm. i mean is do we just continue to chisel away at it piece by piece, a little bit at a time? Yeah, I, I think don't think we're
1: gonna get a reformation. I right. mean, I think it is chiseling away and certainly on a global thing. I think we have to, uh, you know, when we went to Jamaica recently with, with a lot of youth... Which I want to chat a little bit sure. about before uh, we wrap yeah. up. But. Um, you know, it was, the point is to show them that, you know, it, this is a global society right. and that people in Jamaica or anywhere in the world want the same things. Food, right. clothing, shelter, a sense of community, a sense of belonging. Yeah. Our needs are no different. I mean, I grew up in a time, maybe you did as well, in the Cold War, right? Where it was our way of life versus the two, Soviet right? Two minutes to midnight. Right. And they were evil, right? Mm-hmm. They were evil. Better dead than red. Yeah. yeah. Now we're yeah. somewhat somewhat allies. Yes. And of course, you know, you get to know, you know, I know more Russians now than I did then because yep. of immigration and all I drink Russian changed. vodka. So exactly. I mean, we're right? good. Yeah. And you talk to people on an individual basis, there's not that much difference between mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. There's not. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was in Jamaica, believe it or not, I actually preached in a church.
0: Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. I was did, called. Did we catch that on
1: video? No, we didn't. think. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was called up. I, we had to meet the elder. Oh, you weren't,
0: they they didn't prep you in any way? No, 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 oh, no. Oh, that's fabulous. Right, right? Yeah. So They're
1: I talked true. about the fact that, yes, we're different. I hold a Canadian passport, you hold a Jamaican passport. Nice. But by and large, yeah, we're not that different.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, it's good. I'm a Leaf fan. I don't think there are any there, but you know, aside yeah. from that, yeah. there, obviously, yeah. there are differences, of but course. fundamental differences d- yeah. don't exist. Yeah, and we keep creating these boogeymen, you know, Iran or whatever. Yeah, and governments, yes, governments are different, but people aren't.
0: Yeah, you yeah. know, we have to yeah.
1: divorce the people from the government sometimes. Yeah, I think and, that's right. Yeah. And so, I, I don't know, we live in a very small world, but. It seems there's chasms between us at times. It
0: seems to be getting smaller on so many levels, and yet, you know, I read this article on on uh, mining and so on, and yet it's telling me the it's not getting smaller. I mean, it's getting smaller in some respects because I know mm-hmm. about this issue because right. I read about it in the paper three days after somebody had written the article. But we see this gap that appears to be growing wider, not getting, and we're back to yes. trickle down theory again. And yes. You know, and 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 I don't know. Here we go. Obscene free market capitalism, right? Well, I mean, that that that's it, what free
1: trade has done, yeah, right? It, it's, it, it's it's reduced national boundaries on capital, and I mean the Jamaican experience is a classic example of that. <laughs> um, Jamaicans are second class people in their own country. Wow. right. They they do ha- they have no control over that economy. The Jamaican government doesn't even have control of its economy because they have taken loans from the IMF, and the IMF tells them what they can do. Um, the Jamaican government negotiated a contract with its teachers, which in total would have cost about $80 million in pay increases. IMF said, no, you can't do that. You have to balance your books or we were calling in our loans. So the teachers didn't get their increase. Is that a sovereign country? Really? That you can't make those kinds of decisions? As I said to somebody down there, you guys would have done better getting a loan from the mob (laughs) than the IMF. I mean, really. Right, right. And they all agreed. The, the ordinary person. man, That's just, you know, yes, of course, it bails us out of whatever crisis we're in now. But the long-term impact is, you know, we're, yes, we're totally. Yeah, yeah. And Jamaica is, you know, Jamaicans can't even get to the beach anymore. Right? Because the beaches have all been bought out by the hotels. Yep. And they're not allowed on. Wow. So that's the main resource of not the even, country. Yeah.
0: Not allowed on. Nothing like nothing like a little bit of indigenous leadership, eh? Exactly.
1: (laughs) You know, it's it's sad because I mean, you talk about hope in the world, but when you look at a country like Jamaica, I say to myself, "What is the hope here?" Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, everybody
1: says the two political parties are corrupt. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's the common feeling. Sure. So nobody sees it as a political solution, right? And yet, the economy is totally dominated by foreign nationals. In fact, there's a law in Jamaica that if you're a foreign national, and I shouldn't advertise this, but if you're a foreign national, you get five years tax-free. So people come in, they buy a business, they get five years tax-free, they then sell it to their spouse for another five years, they then sell it to their kid for another five years, and they're not paying taxes. Whereas Jamaican business, competing with them, would be paying taxes. Yeah,
0: just, just insane kind of stuff. I know It's when you start to drill down, I think, with a lot of these issues. And again, we're back to sort of the polarization of, of issues. It's just so not helpful. And I think we could even go farther back in our conversation to data. It's yes. not allowing for the complexities again, yes. for the systemic nature of things like poverty. I yes. think, you know. Uh, well, look like um, at GDP. You know, How did GDP
1: become the measure of all things that are good and wonderful in a country? Right. You know, when the Exxon Valdez ran aground in Alaska, large you know, arguably the greatest environmental disaster in the history of the world, the GDP of Alaska went up tremendously because of that. All the, all the costs that were associated right. with cleaning it up right. improved right. the GDP. So from an economic yeah. perspective, from a GDP perspective, yeah. the, uh, the worst environmental disaster in human history mm-hmm. was a good thing. It created jobs. It did. It <laughs> created a lot of jobs.
0: <laughs> so let's just run everything around. right. <laughs> That's, um, so, the direct quote from, from Russ Ford's uh, blog, which I encourage you to read. It's fun. Uh, it's funny and uh, relevant. He's got, uh, I think, about 700 readers now, from yep. from what I hear, which yep. is really neat. Just started recently, right? Uh, a couple months ago, yeah. And that's on the LAMP uh, website, yep. which is? Uh, LAMPCHC.org. Quote, this week, I am starting off with a piece concerning how I spent my summer vacation. But it is not a travel log. In fact, I guarantee none of what I have to say will ever grace the pages of the travel section of our newspaper. Close quote. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the trip, and 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 what are some of those things that aren't going to grace the pa- pages? Sure. Sounds, I've read the blog. And uh, it sounds like it was quite a transformative experience for you personally, as well as Abs- maybe the group that you traveled yes, with. Yes,
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I, we went down there uh, with about uh, I think eighteen or so uh, youth, and uh, we thought we would be transforming their lives. Right. Yes. And we may have done that. I don't know, but it certainly transformed my life in terms of international international work and that kind of thing. Because, you know, a couple of people said to me, "We're going now. Well, you're going to Jamaica. That's not exactly an impoverished country." And they're right; it isn't. But Jamaicans are impoverished. Mm -hmm. So we spent, uh, you know, uh, I didn't see a tourist for a long time. Most of the time I was there, we were living in what I would say is real Jamaica. We stayed at at a hotel. that was I think it was $35 a night, included breakfast and dinner. Gives you an idea. It does, yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, we went to the market in Kingston. And it's, you know, and basically we went down there and we renovated a school. Actually, one of our staff who was from Jamaica, who hadn't been there for a long time, it was actually the school she went to when she was in primary school. And uh, if if this were a class, if, if you took a classroom in a typical Toronto school and put it in Jamaica, it would serve 100 students. You know, what they have is a classroom and then they have a blackboard <laughs> that divides the room and then another blackboard. So three classes are going on simultaneously in a classroom. And I would say, the uh, school reminded me of Pioneer Village. Mm. Just the uh, the age, the it was just lack of access to resources, oh, lack of infrastructure, com- computer. All these things. Give me a break, yeah. Right, yeah. and yeah. we live in a world where access. If you don't have access to a computer, I mean, it does really create the divide. Yeah, we get pretty
0: pissed off if the Wi-Fi is not working at Starbucks. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: These people, I don't, you know, don't even you know. So what are the opportunities for these people? Very, very little because of poverty. There is a university there but of course you got to pay tuition. How are these people ever going to pay tuition? So you know the poverty is is really uh, quite rampant. We went to a place called Maroon Town which is uh, that's where we set up the health clinic. Maroon Town. Maroon Town. For the past year we've been collecting uh, used medical equipment in Canada which is perfectly usable and we we took it down there to set up this medical clinic. And what Maroon Town is Back in the 1700s, a group of slaves escaped, and the Redcoats, of course, they went up into the mountains, and the Redcoats, of course, came after them, and they beat the crap out of the British, and eventually the British said, okay, well, you can be, you can be here, we're not going to bother you anymore, uh, but you can't accept any more slaves, which, of course, they ignored. So, you know, 50 years ago, when Jamaica became independent of Britain, uh, the people in Maroontown said, well, that's got nothing to do with us, we've been independent for a couple of hundred years, so we're still independent. So Maroon Town is this little town on the top of a mountain in Jamaica that is independent state from Jamaica. They do carry Jamaican passports and things like that, but by and large, they make their own laws. It's run by elders, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, it was an hour straight up a mountain in a road, I would say, that was maybe three inches wider than their car Great. <laughs> I've been on, on. those. <laughs> yes. And, and it was like an hour and a half to the mountain. So they were uh, literally close to three hours away from any medical facility at all. Wow. And these people, are, it's, it's very African because there's there been no, you need an invitation to go there. They won't let anybody go there. Okay, You need yeah. an invitation and they're very separate and uh but you know they have problems because they don't have schools right they have primary schools but when someone goes to high school they have to go off the mountain kind of thing so it's that that, that whole integration issue right sure so uh so that was very interesting to see uh, to see a culture that that is separate from 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 jamaica and um you know and jamaicans are very proud of their proud of their culture for sure but their culture is more than bob marley although he was a great person right right you know we have Bob Marley didn't make t shirts. I found that out. Oh, you know, is that right? You see Bob Marley. Was yeah, he that Che Guevara? Yeah, no, I he was in belt buckles too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: And then Mal, of <laughs> yeah. course, makes Zippo lighters. So. <laughs>
1: exactly. And in fact, at the resort, we, we stayed one night at the resort our last night before we caught the plane uh-huh. back. Uh-huh. They actually had a cocktail called the Bob Marley. Right. Well, if you know about Bob Marley, yes, he took, uh, yes, he, he smoked weed, but he never, ever had a drink of alcohol.
0: Oh, is that right? Eh? Yes.
1: So now there's a drink. Oh, are called the Bob Marley. Oh man, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, we we we've tended to corrupt culture, I I think.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I um, so I encourage you guys to check out uh, uh, Russ's blog uh, on Jamaica and a whole lot of other things. I don't know why I'm asking this question just before we wrap up because we, we really are uh, uh, we we've, we've got to come to an end, and uh, we'll we'll do a part two for sure. <laughs> okay. But can you you know all your years on this uh, you know this 37 year old pilot project you've been working on, uh, <laughs> Russ? <laughs> You're just sorting it out now, That's right? right? Exactly, you're, just, yes. you're just figuring That's it out. Right. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit, uh, not, don't tell me a little bit about it. How do you define poverty? How, I mean, I've of late been thinking more about phrases like at-risk, vulnerability, yeah. and so on, because... I think what we do is when we talk about poverty, we reduce it to a financial equation. It's so much deeper than that. What about spiritual poverty? What about emotional poverty and relational and all these things that we've all suffered from at one time or another? And I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it so that it's not always just financial. Yes,
1: although financial often impacts on those other things, right? I think financial impacts on one's feeling about community. And you know, I'll give you an example. I mean, I've looked at voting statistics in this area, and there's a direct relationship, at least in this community, between participation in voting and income. Mm-hmm. Direct relationship. There's like a there's like a thirteen percent voter decline in the poor areas, and it's it's not just one off. It's it's repeated. And you know, voting is many things, but I often think of voting as how is an indicator of how connected people feel to the broader community to the broader issues. Right. Right. and so, if you 're not participating, then there is some kind of uh maybe it's just apathy but some kind of a lack of connection that this process actually works for me right because right. it doesn't right it doesn't the process doesn't work for a lot of people who are low income right there is no political party that stands for low income people you know low income people are are collateral damage anytime some policy is created they're not they're not in the lens i mean you look at um I know I'm going off here, but you look at the recent discussion about the Toronto transit, right? You know, low-income people in Rexdale, low-income people here, low-income people across the city are not being served by a subway line that continues to run along Bloor and Danforth. There are no low-income areas on Bloor and Danforth subway line.
0: Right, right.
1: So why wouldn't you build a transit system that actually went to where your customers are? Because low-income people do use transit more than sure, others. sure. But we don't do that because we don't perceive poverty and transit as any kind of relation. Anytime we raise fees at a parks and recreation facilities, we don't think, well, that's going to exclude certain people. Right. Well, of course it does. Right. So we don't have the lens. We don't have the. the we don't look at things from a, a poverty point of view. And by not looking at that from a point of view, I think it increases many of the things you just said. The kid who can't go and play basketball, or his friend can, because one has money. And one doesn't right you know and so that that affects one's affiliation to society that affects how one feels about themselves those kinds of things one of the things we do here and it is an absolute fundamental principle is everything at lamp is free you know that's that's fundamental you don't pay for Hmm. anything here Hmm. because we understand the, the fact that income is such a barrier Right. To, to, it, it's exclusionary. It's one of the most exclusionary things. So, you know, part of my job is to find money so we can provide everything with free. And we go to City Hall and we say Parks and Rec should be free. And we depute at council and we get youth to depute it council because it's in part how we create citizenship in people. Now, we're not popular, right. you know, right. w- with a lot of the politicians because we do take a poverty lens on issues. And we do speak
0: up. And, you know, I love, uh, well, we've got to wrap it up, but I love what you, what you said about, uh, and, and it, you refer to it in your blog, you, you, you make fun of the sort of the all-inclusive, uh, yes. or the, the lack of inclusivity. And, yes. and I think, for me, poverty is becoming more about that notion exclusion, inclusion, and Absolutely. what does that actually mean. And, yes. you know, it, it, it touches on so many things we've talked about here today. Russ, thanks a lot for joining us oh, here. My pleasure. Uh, and, I just rambled on. <laughs> no, it's a pretty pretty honest and authentic and transparent rambling. I really appreciate it. There's clearly more going on here than meets the eye. Um, thanks, and um, check out Russ's blog. LAMP, again, is? Uh, Lamp-chc.org. LAMPCHC.org. LAMPCHC. For Community Health Center. CommunityHealthCenter.org. Health